Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Merry Christmas, everyone. My name's Pastor Tony, and it is so good to be with all of you today, this morning. Um, So you know how sometimes you picture things going a certain way in the holidays, especially if you have kids, and sometimes you imagine, like you plan this outing, and it's gonna be just like that heartwarming holiday commercial, right? And oh, it's gonna be perfect, there will be tears of joy, and everyone will remember this fondly for the rest of your life, and then sometimes, maybe not so much, right? I had one of those naive moments the other day when I was taking my kids out shopping. And so we were shopping to get something from them to their mom, and our kids are two and five, and so we know, okay? We know to set the bar low that you never know what you're gonna get, but when we got into the car, things were going so well at first. And so I thought maybe, just maybe, we'll get one of those commercial moments evenings, and they were both excited to go, the music was playing in the car, they fell asleep, and so I got like 15 minutes of peace and quiet, it was amazing. And then we got out of the car. And it was meltdown, and for whatever reason, right, crying, screaming, I pick both kids off of the floor of the aisle to put them into the cart, so I can keep going through the aisles with these two screaming children, and it took me way too long to give up. It was like a half an hour of, you know what, some deep breaths, we'll get over this. What do you think, would mom like that? No, she doesn't want anything! (laughs) And eventually, when I was screaming at the kids to stop screaming, I knew it was time to just cut my losses, and then I think everyone said a nice little prayer when our family left to never return to that store again in our lives. (laughs) But we got into the car, and I figured it out, they were just a little hangry. That was the big thing, that happens. It was was hanger going on. So we went to a fast food drive-in. They were still screaming in the drive-through, but then when they started to eat, everybody calmed down. And we actually had a good reset, and the rest of the night was fine. I would even say it was good. We had this nice evening together. But we never quite got to that perfect holiday commercial moment. You know what I mean? Like we never got to that fairy tale perfect evening. That was just not gonna be a reality. I was talking with my wife about this afterwards and she showed me this song which now has become like my theme song for Christmas with children. It's by Sarah Connor called Not So Silent Night. So here's how it starts. Five in the morning, all so peaceful and cold. You could hear a pin falling, it's beginning to dawn. 24th of December, once again it is time for a not-so-silent, not-so-silent night. Next slide. Oh, the kids crashing down the stairs, dogs barking everywhere, sister yelling on the phone, buble on the radio, neighbors knocking on the door, food burning on the stove, baby never wants to sleep, and a bird flew in the tree. Everybody scream, everybody shout, isn't this what it's all about? A not-so-silent night. I think if you have Christmas with real humans in your family, that's more often how it goes. It's not really a silent night. And that's okay, but if you expect it to be this fairy tale, you're going to be disappointed. And I think that's true about really all sorts of times in life. Real life isn't like a holiday commercial. 
It just isn't. And that doesn't make life bad. Of course not. Life is wonderful. There are these moments of tears of joy alongside all the other tears. Life is beautiful. It just is also never as neat and tidy as a fairy tale. That love and goodness, it's always found alongside all this other mess. That's how life is. And I think that is a really helpful way to think about the birth of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I love the cute little nativity sets. This has been out all month, I just noticed it this week. We have cute nativity sets, and they're lovely, and the carols, I love singing Silent Night. But all of those things, they can give us this picture of the Christmas story like it's some holiday commercial fairy tale. And of course, we wish that the world could be like that, and we wish we had peace on earth, but we don't. The world is kind of a mess, isn't it? I mean, just look right now what's going on. We have the brutality of war over in the Middle East and over in Ukraine, and then in individual people's lives. So many people I know that are dealing with the pain of diseases like cancer and dementia and the feelings of depression and despair, feeling overwhelmed. We need the good news of Christmas that God is with us, bringing light in the world. But that good news, it only matters if it's a real story, not just a fairy tale. So what I love about getting to study the Bible is that when you dig into the actual Christmas story, it's not. It's actually really messy and dangerous and loud, and that is where God enters in to give us some hope that things will get better. When you look at how Luke tells the Christmas story, he goes out of his way to show us that when God came into the world in the flesh, he put aside any divine privilege that God could have kept to be above the rest of us. And actually, Paul says this exact thing in Philippians. He says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. But here's what I want to focus on today. It's a familiar verse from Luke chapter 2, verse 7, which says this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place in the guest room. Now, I'm guessing that that's not how most of us are used to hearing the last part of this story, a guest room. I mean, we all know that Jesus was born in a barn, right? And it was just Joseph and Mary and some animals. And why was Jesus born in a barn? Well, because there was no room in the inn. We all know that's how the story goes. The only problem is when you look at the actual Greek of this text, there is no inn. <laughs> the Greek word here is kataluma, and it does not mean inn. There is a word in Greek that means a commercial inn, the word pandokeon. Now, pandokeon is used like in the story of the Good Samaritan. So the Samaritan picks up this beat-up guy from the side of the road and takes him to a pandokeon, to an inn, pays the innkeeper to keep paying, taking care of him. That's not what's mentioned in this story. Actually, the funny thing about Bethlehem is that in the time of Jesus, it was a pretty small town, and it wasn't on a main Roman road. And so most scholars think, Bethlehem didn't even have an inn at the time of Jesus. But Cataluma, it doesn't mean inn, it means a guest room. It's the space in your house 
where visitors could come and stay when they're visiting, which means this whole encounter in Bethlehem, it takes place inside one home. And actually, if you think about the context of the world of the Bible, that makes a whole lot more sense. See, Mary and Joseph, they were in Bethlehem for the census because Joseph's family hometown is there. They wouldn't have gone there if he didn't still have some family. And hospitality was such an important part of life in the Middle East. It still is today. So going to an inn instead of staying with a relative, even if it was a distant relative, that's just not something you would do. So I listened to this podcast where Paul Wright, who's this professor of Holy Land Studies over in Israel, he was talking about his encounter with someone who works as their campus manager. So this guy's named Johnny, and he's a local Arab, and he had been working there for years, saving up all his money he had made so he could send his daughter to college in the United States. And it just so happens that at that time, this professor was also sending his daughter to college. So they were talking about it. And so Johnny asked him, all right, well, where are you sending your daughter? And the professor said, oh, it's to this college in Minnesota. It's where I went to school. It has a great program for this that she's studying. It's going to be wonderful. But Johnny was taken aback. He said, okay, that's great. Who is she staying with, though? He said, well, she's staying at a dorm with strangers. That's what you do at college. And he was really surprised. He said, what do you mean he's staying in a dorm? Why would you send your child to this place where you don't know anybody? Why on earth would you do that? And he's like, it's a good school. That's what you do. So he asked Johnny, well, where are you sending your daughter to school? And he said, well, it's this name of this very small junior college in Pennsylvania that he had never heard of. So the professor's like, why would you do that? You're saving all your money. Send her to the best school you can. He said, well, because my cousin lives there. And so she's going to stay with my cousin while she goes to school. That's the most important thing. Hospitality, especially with family, that's the number one priority. And that's still true today in the Middle East, but it was even more important back in ancient times. And so even if there was an inn in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph didn't stay there. Right? They went to stay with Joseph's family. But what does the home of a peasant family look like? in ancient Bethlehem. Actually, we have a pretty good idea. We have lots of evidence of exactly what they looked like. And so in Bethlehem, usually the homes would start in a cave if that was available, and you started with this one main room where the people and your animals would stay there. And you think, why would the animals stay in the house? That's kind of gross, right? Life in the ancient world was kind of gross. That's just how it goes. Everything was smelly all the time. You just deal with it. They helped to keep you warm at night, and also, your animals were your biggest investment. You need to keep them safe and close by. So the people and animals stayed in this one room. And then, as you got established, you would build another room onto the house, either to the side, like on that middle picture, or up above it, if it was on top of a cave. And that room is called the Cataluma. That's where your guest would stay. So you could come and enter into that guest room before you go down further in to the more intimate place where the rest of the family and the animals would stay and would live. So when women gave birth before modern hospitals, always it happened in the home. And there might be midwives around. There were certainly other women who had experienced childbirth in the family who were around. And these experienced women, they would keep everyone else in the family out of the way because birth is messy and loud and really dangerous. 
especially before modern hospitals. That was the number one cause of death among women was childbirth. And so they wanted all the kids, especially in the other family, out of the way just in case something would happen. And so these knowledgeable women, they would go with the mother into that main living room of the house. And then once the baby was delivered, they wanted a good place to put it. And so they would clear off these stone feeding troughs. They're not the like crib-looking wooden mangers that you usually see. They use mostly stone. So it's a piece of stone with this divot. And they would put some nice, clean, fresh straw there. And that's where you would lay the baby for normal people. This is how everyone was born. See, once you realize what life was like for the average family in the time of Jesus, what Luke describes is perfectly normal. Most of the babies would have been wrapped in cloths and then laid in the manger in the main room of a house just like Jesus was. So there are two ways to read that line of there was no place in the guest room in the Cataluma. One way is that there could be other visitors, other family in town, and so that guest room was already claimed, and Mary and Joseph weren't turned away. They were invited into the more intimate room, into the main room of the house to live with that family. But the other way to read it is it could just be describing the normal practice of what you did when there was a birth. She gave birth and laid her son in a manger in the main bedroom because the guest room is not the proper place to do that. This family welcomed Mary into this intimate place of their home because that's what you do. So Jesus was not born in a barn of a stranger with no one to help his parents. No, he was, came into the world surrounded by these women that were part of his extended family taking care of him and his parents. This peasant family welcomed the Son of God into the world in the same way that they would have welcomed their own child. See, the real birth story of Jesus is not this sanitized, set-apart, holiday commercial-type picture. No, God came to experience the messy, loud, dangerous, and beautiful world just like the rest of us. But the good news is not just that God came to be here with us. It's that God came here to not give up on this world. God came into this mud of this life with us to bring light where there is darkness. In Luke's gospel, where we get the Christmas story, Jesus starts his public ministry by reading this passage from Isaiah. This is his mission statement. Here's what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he stops, he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this is what I came to do. I came to make this world a better place. And even before this, before Jesus was born, his mother Mary proclaims what her son will mean for the world. This is what we call the Magnificat. Mary sings this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Indeed his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. 
He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. By the way, this is why that song, Mary, Did You Know, doesn't really make any sense. Because of course Mary knew, an angel told her what her son was about, and then she sang a whole song about it. She knew exactly what was going on. But think about what she said. God is coming to the world to turn it upside down, to scatter the proud, to bring down the powerful and lift up the lowly. Yes, God knows that this world is a mess, but God is here with us so that we can turn things around. So yeah, there is hate, and there is greed, and there is violence, and there is corruption all around us. We even seem to be headed on this path of destroying the planet, let alone destroying this functioning democracy. Yes, it is real. Yes, it's a mess. And Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us, to lead us on a better path to lead us on this path of love and compassion for the whole human family, the path to be good caretakers of this world that God has made. He leads us on this path of justice and mercy, especially to the outcasts and those on the margins of society. It's like God's dream for the world is for everyone to live a life that is filled with love. So I wanna leave you with this poem I found by Howard Thurman. And I think it's a perfect way to describe why Christmas matters. Because my dream is that we could see the church doing the work that we're meant to do in the world. So this is his poem called, The Work of Christmas Begins. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back in their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. Merry Christmas. Let our work begin.